It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the PZE Community Show and the show are now available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. This week, the Smart Energy Council organised an online summit called the Stimulus Summit, a renewables-led economic recovery. It was a huge success with speakers including state ministers from all over Australia and experts in various renewables areas. As regular listeners to our show will know, the head of research at BZE, Dominic Hess, last week mentioned a scoop about a new plan BZE revealed at the summit. It's called the Million Jobs Plan. Here to tell us about it is the chair and interim head of BZE, Eitan Lenko. Hi Eitan, thanks for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. Eitan, was it exciting to be part of such a successful event where there were thousands of people in the audience? Yeah, it was exciting. It was great to see the numbers kind of clicking up down the bottom, number of participants, probably like the most people I've spoken in front of in one, in one shot before. So it was really interesting, both, you know, great, obviously, to see so many people interested, but also, you know, some of the benefits of video conferencing, how easily we can bring people together and also being able to have a lot of the energy ministers just speak one after the other and have them all there at the same time. Obviously, if you don't have to travel there and travel out, it's a lot easier to get people to turn up to something. So I thought, you know, not only was it a great event for the situation we're in today, but it probably points the way forward for how we can do these events inclusively uh, at the same time. There were a number of exciting talks at the summit about what is and what can be done in the renewable sector. What prompted BZE to come up with the Million Jobs Plan? Well, it just seemed obvious to me and other people within Beyond Zero Emissions that generally when you have an economic downturn, the government will do what it takes to get the economy back on track. I mean, we saw that with the global financial crisis, at least in Australia um, and at other times in our history. And, you know, we've been calling for a long time, you know, all of Beyond Zero Emissions plans are really plans for what the government in particular, but also Australian business and Australian society can do on climate change and what's possible, what it's possible to achieve on climate change if we just get down and actually do it. So what better time than now? I mean, the government has already committed to $200 billion in spending in stimulus packages already, and, and we'll probably commit to that number again over the next months and years. So with that amount of money on offer to, to, and, and choices that have to be made as a country and where, where we're going to spend it, often it's the people that come up with the fully worked out ideas that have those ideas funded or it's much more likely to get them funded. So it seemed a shame. You know, it's obvious that the, the fossil fuel companies, they're working hard to put their proposals together. We've already heard talks of a gas-led recovery and, and things like that. So we wanted to make sure that there was going to be positive contribution on the table that was well worked out and it just seemed with BZE's capability, with our knowledge base of, of our plans that we've already put together, 
and our connection with our zero carbon communities, we just felt we were really well placed to put forward a plan that could hopefully cut through. Did you get any feedback after the conference? Yes, I got very positive feedback from the participants. A lot of people said it was the highlight of the conference. And I think one of the things that struck to me is there were a lot of people, it was really great to see a lot of people talking about that this is a direction we should be going in and that stimulus should be used to decarbonise the economy and that there is the potential for jobs in that direction. I mean, it was great to hear all of the energy ministers talking along that theme, but it was apparent that no one had really had, you know, at least they weren't sharing, but it doesn't seem at this point that anyone's done the work to actually put together what that plan would look like and how many jobs there would be apart from BZE. So I think what I learned is that, you know, it's a really important piece of work that we're contributing and and hopefully it's kind of puts together at least a framework for people to say this is one way that it could look and you know there's obviously a huge number of jobs that can be unlocked through moving the economy in this direction so whether you actually support BZE's plan literally or just the general direction of BZE's plan and you want to come up with your own little bit for you know a particular your your area of the economy that you're interested in that's fine but it, it seemed from the conference yesterday that it's only BZE that are really thinking big picture around what does the plan look like um, across the whole of the economy. And of course, that was missing, that piece of information was missing at the last federal election or the lead up to the last federal election, where none of the ministers seemed to be able to put figures onto the type of jobs that could be created in the renewable sector. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, it was also a very different time. I mean, uh, at the last federal election, everyone was, was uh, talking about surpluses and how do we get back to surplus and like that was the the priority for anything else and now the priority you know we've seen change very rapidly to safety number one health and safety and I think obviously I'm sure you've talked about this on the show on other occasions but you know it's been amazing to see what we can do when we treat something like an emergency and how, how much the economy and things that we thought were you know completely untouchable can take a back seat when as soon as we think that, that something's important enough to um, prioritize it's a very different environment and it's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity to be talking about a lot of the stuff that BZE has been talking about for years, like, you know, bringing manufacturing back to Australia, um, developing our renewable infrastructure because there's lots of jobs in it, things like building a recycling industry in Australia, all of these things that we're talking about in our plan that now there's potentially money to be around to spend on building the economy. We want to make sure it's spent on those productive ideas. And that's a very good point. It's interesting to note that health and safety is the main issue with climate change too, isn't it? Yes, and I think people that are absorbed in climate change understand that and probably people that that aren't as across climate change, maybe they don't, you know, they see more as a political idea or an abstract, you know, earth temperature idea, but absolutely it's, it's, it's a health and safety issue above anything else. The Million Jobs Plan draws on previous BZE plans, as you mentioned earlier. So let's go through what you presented yesterday. You mentioned initially that there's a trend from analogue to digital. Can you tell our listeners what you mean by this? Yeah, I think if you look back over the last 50 years, the trend, you know, across initially parts of our economy, and now I think it's, it's moving across to the whole economy, is a trend um, from analog technology to digital technology. So we've seen that obviously with, with computerization, analog computers to digital, 
computers and, and all of the um, everything that that's unlocked. We've seen it with telecommunications. We're seeing it in a range of different industries now that are all being disrupted by, by digital technologies. Um, and I think when we're talking about the energy system and the energy-based economy, that shift is really uh, can be personified by the shift from fire-based technology, which is, you know, when we literally burn stuff like coal, oil and gas to heat up the area around it and hopefully catch some of that heat to make it do something productive, you know, it's extremely inefficient to electrical technology, which is digital in that it's completely controllable, it's targeted, it's highly efficient, it's clean. Um, you can use software to easily monitor it and output it. It has um, low running costs, it's extremely scalable. And if we power it with our own renewables that are falling out of the sky in Australia, then it, they enable us to become self-reliant as well, which is the other buzzword that we're hearing a lot about at the moment. So I think that's the trend. We can argue about the pace of that change, but that's definitely the trend that the economy is going to go in. No one's going to, no one, no sane investor or gambler would ever bet on the trend suddenly reversing and going back from digital to analog. So when people talk about a gas-fired recovery, um, you know, why would we want to go backwards as part of a recovery? A recovery should be about going forwards. So I think anything we do in terms of stimulus that accelerates that transition from analog to digital is going to be money well spent because it's money that we would have spent anyway over the next, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. And we're just bringing it forward and, and reaping the benefits earlier, especially at the moment when the cost of capital is so low. Um, so that's kind of the, um, I guess, the basis for the, for the whole report. You know, BZD's work has traditionally been about how do we decarbonise as fast as we can, but I think now that we understand that this shift is, is happening in earnest from the analog to digital shift and actually the digital technologies give us so much productivity and so much, um, you know, and are now so economic as well that, uh, you know, we can frame things in a slightly different way to what we've been talking about before. Like really this, we're talking about the only way that sen to sensibly create jobs in Australia. And it is interesting to see over the last six weeks or so how quickly things can change if a government has the motivation to do so. When you talk about fast-tracking, which the government has shown it can already do, what would you be looking at first with respect to the renewables and what sort of jobs does it create? I think one of the obvious things that we can fast-track in terms of renewables, I mean, clearly we want to build a lot of re renewable energy to bring down energy prices in Australia and to decarbonise our energy system. However, one of the things that's holding that back is our transmission system. Like we don't have the transmission lines going to the renewable energy zones where the renewable energy is. Our, our transmission system wasn't designed for uh, renewable energy. We're proposing the Million Jobs Plan to fast track 10, at least 10 new transition lines to various places and, and eight of those 10 have already been analysed by AEMO and, and AEMO's said that they're economic lines that need to be built and they're just kind of stuck in the in the government process which can take years to, to you know do the final approval approvals for those lines so we know we need them we don't we know they've been checked we know they're economic we know they make sense um, and that they would unlock a lot of investment so that's a great example of something we could fast track the government could turn around today and say look enough work's been done to show that those lines need to be built, let's get ahead and build them. And then once 
you know, we're moving forward on those transmission lines, we're talking about fast tracking the build out of renewable energy. So there's already various stages of, of the project pipeline, 130 gigawatts of projects that have been proposed to be built in Australia. And we're saying, well, let's get on with fast tracking 90 gigawatts of those projects over the next five years. And with such a big pipeline, that would give us the confidence to ensure that we set up local manufacturing of componentry for those build-outs, things like wind turbines and things like that. So you'd have local procurement regulations as part of those tenders. So between the transmission lines and the renewable energy build and the manufacturing jobs, you know, we're, we're probably pretty conservatively at 150,000 jobs, if not more. Another summit speaker talked about the importance of addressing energy efficiency in buildings. Is it 320 to 400,000 jobs be found in the zero energy buildings you propose? Yes, yeah, so we're proposing 3 million zero energy build homes and buildings uh, in Australia. So that means that we retrofit 3 million homes or 3 million buildings. So to the point where they no longer pay any significant energy bills at all. And so that would include disconnecting them from, from the gas network and setting up those homes as, um, as uh, those buildings as net zero carbon. And we would, you know, in terms, this is one of the, the big areas for social inequity. So we propose starting with social housing, low income homes, inefficient homes, schools and hospitals, uh, the places that would benefit the most from the retrofit. Um, and we're proposing doing those at a pace of 500,000 buildings a year. So the jobs uh, that come out of that are in a number of areas. Obviously, there's the, there's the labour involved in physically doing that bit of work. There's the supply of a lot of the componentry, the insulation, the, the light fittings, the, uh, the other fittings in the house, the hot water systems, a lot of which can be manufactured and built in Australia. And so there are obviously plenty of jobs that come out of that as well. And then... There's, you know, also, you know, if you're going to have that many people out retrofitting homes, they need to be trained. You know, they're probably coming from other industries. So there's the training jobs, the teaching jobs. There's a whole kind of industry that needs to, to, to set up around doing something on this scale. And just to also just to say, you know, we're not completely <laughs> crazy in those numbers. France um, has, has already stated that their aim is to retrofit 500,000 homes per year. And Ireland is um, less ambitious. They're saying 50,000 homes per year. But increasingly, we're going to see this as a theme around the world. You know, we know that, that homes are a big source of emissions and something that we know how to decarbonise pretty rapidly. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Etan Lenko from BZE about BZE's exciting new vision for one million jobs in renewables for Australia. You, you touched on manufacturing before, and I think most Australians now appreciate the benefits of manufacturing in Australia. Can you tell us more about where the manufacturing jobs would come from? I think when we talk about manufacturing, obviously BZD's done a lot of work in this space, and it's important to say that the manufacturing industry in Australia wasn't particularly healthy before this crisis. Australian manufacturing is you know, one of the most inefficient in the world. It consumes more energy per dollar of output than any other developed country. So it's, it's, it's an industry where something had to be done anyway. Um, and it's fantastic that, this, that um, advocates for manufacturing are using this opportunity to come out and talk about um, how important it is to, to get the manufacturing industry in Australia growing again. We, we totally agree with that. 
I guess what, what BZD is saying is that one of the things that holds manufacturing back in Australia is, is the high cost of energy. Most manufacturers run off gas and the gas price has tripled over the last few years. And it's an extremely volatile commodity now. So it makes it very hard uh, for manufacturers to plan long term. And they don't know what the cost of gas is going to be at the moment. You know, it was very high. Now it's very low. Who knows what it's going to be in three years time. Plus, it's obviously it is a fossil fuel, it's polluting and, you know, more and more research comes out to show that it's not particularly any better than coal once you include the, the fugitive emissions from extracting it. So there's, there's a whole lot of reasons why, why moving to electrical processes uh, make a lot of sense for industry in Australia. We can power them with our own renewable energy, which uh, should be the cheapest form, which already is the cheapest form of energy. But also electricity isn't just a source of energy. Um, it, is, it is a digital technology, so, which means it allows us to make things in a smarter way. It's, you know, we can make things faster, more precise. Electricity is, is modular and it's scalable, so it makes it much easier to expand or contract a factory rather than having a centralised gas boiler with ducting all over the place. Uh, so there's a whole lot of reasons why it makes sense to move to electrical technologies um, to power our industry. One of the issues holding us back is that, you know, for example, an industrial heat pump, which is, you know, the electrical technology that would power a very high percentage of our industry. At the moment, depending on the application, it can pay itself back as fast as one year or as long as seven years. And we really need to get that down to under two years across the board to uh, make that a no-brainer for manufacturers to, in to invest in. Plus, you know, a bit of assistance up front. At the moment, you know, particularly with low capital costs, you know, so low interest rate loans or zero interest rate loans to help to help uh, manufacturers transition. And so that's obviously great for existing manufacturers, but I think once that paradigm sets in, and especially as renewables take a bigger piece of our energy supply and electricity costs come down, BZD has always had the vision, as does Ross Garneau and others in the space, that Australia should become the natural home for energy intensive manufacturing in the world. So things like aluminium uh, or even steel, other kinds of energy intensive manufacturing. So between keeping our existing manufacturers growing and expanding um, and introducing new manufacturing into Australia, uh, we should be able to create well over 200,000 jobs in the manufacturing industry in Australia. Talking about PZD reports, there was the Northern Territory 10 gigawatt vision that addressed renewable mining in that region, in the Northern Territory. This plan suggests 100% renewable mining. What do you actually mean by that? So it's similar to manufacturing in a way, like mine sites at the moment are powered often by, by diesel and diesel generators. Mining equipment is often diesel, you know, which is expensive, particularly when you're mining out in remote regions. But mining, even when you exclude fossil fuel extraction, mining causes 5% of Australia's greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, and mines aren't a particularly healthy place to work. If you're if particularly, particularly an underground mine where you have diesel uh, fumes and that sort of thing, it makes it quite restrictive. Now that China has rejected our waste, we have to find ways of dealing with it ourselves. The plan calls for 100% recovery of materials. Can you tell us more about that and where the renewable jobs would be? Sure. So... Uh, Australia had a, a recycling crisis before we had our, our coronavirus crisis. Um, you know, we've seen since China banned importing our recycling and other countries as well that we've had to, you know, kind of stockpile because we don't have the recycling facilities in place. So we want to, you know, that's another 
thing that we would have done anyway that we're asking to fast track and bring that forward. So, you know, schemes and, and factories to be, to be able to recycle plastic, paper, glass, metals and, and organics. Uh, and in terms of the benefits, obviously there's an there's environmental benefit. Um, we'll avoid emissions from making new materials and avoid methane emissions from landfill. But recycling is actually quite a jobs-rich industry as well. For every uh, unit of waste that goes to recycling rather than landfill, there's three jobs in recycling for one job in landfill, if that makes sense. You know, obviously there's a lot more to do in recycling than just dumping it into a tip. So we estimate a, a fully functional recycling industry in Australia could create 25,000 to 35,000 new jobs. You, met, you touched on uh, electrified transport in mining, but you have that as a separate section, electrified transport. Where are the jobs in that area? Yeah, so we've probably been a little bit conservative on the jobs on this front. So one of the low-hanging fruits with electrified transport transportation is buses. So we're proposing, and again, that's something that's over the next 10 years, like you're ready when you go to other cities, you see electric buses everywhere. So that's something that will happen. You know, electrified transportation as a trend is something that's definitely going to happen over the next 20 years. So again, why not bring it forward? So we're proposing a, a bus electrification program. Australia is going to need 70,000 electric buses. And with that volume of buses, it's completely feasible to set up uh, local manufacturing around that. Um, so there's probably 35,000 jobs just in that. But we're also proposing to replace diesel train lines to either electrify them or, or convert them to hydrogen trains, depending on where that technology is up to. And also to begin work on the high-speed rail line between particularly Melbourne and Sydney, which is the second busiest air route in the world. And also to start in earnest our electric vehicle infrastructure rollout, so charging stations, all those sorts of things. Um, you know, because that's one of the one of the issues that holds people back from buying an electric vehicle is that they don't they, they, they don't feel like these, the infrastructure is mature enough yet. So we're saying fifty to one hundred thousand jobs um, in electrified transportation across those initiatives. You estimated a significant number of jobs in land restoration and carbon farming as well. Can you explain that? Yeah, so we've got a great uh, researcher working on this and we're, we're discovering some really exciting um, information. So, yeah, we're talking about if we, if we decide to revegetate a large portion of land in Australia, there's, there's a lot of benefits. One of, it, one of them is jobs. So, um, you know, we could, we could create 38,000 jobs in, in land restoration in Australia and reduce emissions by 10% just through that. There's a lot of very successful Indigenous ranger programs throughout Australia, um, and we, we, we would like to expand, extend and expand those programs, so employ another 5,000 Indigenous rangers. And, um, yeah, the benefits go beyond just, just jobs and environment. I mean, this would, would also assist in the transition of the forestry sector away from native and old-growth logging and, and mean that that sector can survive um, into the future. And it's also great for, for farmers. So it would increase farming productivity, uh, the resilience, the water tolerance of our, of our farmland and the well-being, obviously, of our, of our farmers. The, the last sector that you mentioned yeah. in your presentation was community-led initiatives. 
where would you envisage jobs coming from there? Well, I'm quite excited about the community-led initiative. So this is where we went out to our zero carbon community. So BZD works already with 50 local communities on their decarbonisation plans. And, you know, it's important to say that while it's very exciting to talk about the big nation building, big bits of infrastructure or big plans, national plans that we've been talking about so far, I think they can also be a bit abstract. So being able to talk about communities, initiatives that are smaller in scale, uh, and within people's communities makes it a lot more tangible, makes a plan like this a lot more tangible so they can see the big picture, but also get a feeling for how things might change around them or what the benefits might be for their communities. We've already identified over 100,000 jobs um, when, you, when you start aggregating all of those local projects, which is quite exciting. Can you tell us what stage the plan is at? Um, in terms of where we're at, it's, um, you know, we're still putting the finishing touches. So, you know, all of those numbers are kind of preliminary as we go deeper in, into the research, but we're looking to start, you know, probably roll it out rather than one big launch, roll it out in sections um, as we complete the detail for each of those different areas I talked about. So I think probably starting in, from in another couple of weeks, starting to roll out either weekly or bi-weekly a, a different section of the plan and probably and leading up to a, to a final report and release sometime in June. Well, well done, Eitan and the team. It's a very impressive presentation. Where can people find out more about this? So at the moment, there's not a huge amount of information online yet, but it'll get there. Um, obviously, the BZE website, bze.org.au, and specifically, I mean, there's a link there. You should be able to just click through to the um, Million Jobs Plan on the homepage. And as always, BZE, completely independent, we don't get government funding. We're completely funded by, you know, people that, that are passionate about our work and, and want to see the changes that we're proposing happen. So, uh, you know, if you're inspired by this piece of work and you want to make sure that BZD have the resources to, to be able to continue to develop it and promote it, um, again, go to, go to our website, bzd.org.au, and feel free to click on the donate button. But also, you know, if you, if you have expertise, you know, get in touch around volunteering to, to help out developing the plan. Um, if you have projects that you know of, that you know, particularly community ones, uh, reach out so that we're aware of them. Share our work with your network and also share your network with BZD if you know people that you think it's important to get this plan in front of. Be in touch and let us know and we'll make sure that it, that it is. Wonderful. Thanks very much for your time today, Eitan. Thanks, Kay, and thanks for everything that you do. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around a community radio network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZD website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.